And joining us now is former NFL safety Solomon Wilcox. He played six seasons in the league after being drafted out of Colorado in the 1987 draft. He spent time with the Bengals, Vikings, and Steelers. He has had an award-winning broadcasting career since his playing days with stops at ESPN, CBS, and the NFL Network. He can now be heard on Sirius NFL Radio and seen as an analyst for Sky Sports in the U.K., Solomon, it's great to have you on with us here on Unpacking It. How are you? I'm doing great, and uh, you know I'm glad to be on with you today. And uh, I'm enjoying a lot of great NFL football as we get ready for Super Bowl 53. And um, you know, next year this time we'll be in the middle of our 100th season in the National Football League. So these are good times. Wow, that no, that's incredible. And and I know I'm fired up for the Super Bowl, but but at the same time, I know that a lot of fans kind of have New England fatigue and so what is your perspective on, on the Patriots being back in the Super Bowl their ninth time and and as an analyst are, are you tired of them or do you focus more on appreciating what they've been able to accomplish yeah I'm more on the, of the guy who appreciates the excellence because it's not easy to win in the National Football League is certainly not easy to sustain success and they found a way to do it obviously their coach is a hard-working guy you know, Bill Belichick in the offseason, while most coaches can't wait to go on that fishing trip or that long-awaited vacation, this guy is back at the grind. I mean, his vacation is pouring through tape, <laughs> looking for the next wave of talent in the draft, looking at how he can make his team better. He's just a guy who's a gym rat, and his quarterback has the same mentality in terms of the work ethic. And between those two, they, they, they set the bar really high, and now it's about the other coaches and the other teams trying to um, reach that level of consistency. And no one has been able to sustain it like they've been able to. And no question. And, and really what, what always stands out to me is the fact that, okay, they've been here now nine times, but it's always different players. And they're able to, to cycle in different guys. How do you view that? And, and how are they able to, to just year after year plug and play different guys unlike any other team has been able to do? Well, one, the coach has developed a system that really requires the players to not do, try to do anything that's outside of their skill set. They only ask you to do uh, one or two things that's well within your skill set. If you're Julian Edelman or you are a, a, a slot receiver, you're going to work over the middle of the field. We're not going to ask you to go deep down the sideline and, and catch jump balls. We're gonna, not going to try to may ask you to do things that are outside of your skill set. Gronk, specific skill set for things for him that they know he can do. And they know he's a good blocker, so he can, he can help with the run game and his blocking. They know he's a big-body guy, so he's going to be dominant inside the red zone. So the coach has created a blueprint uh, that allows even average players to be successful at just doing what they do best. Mm. And then with your quarterback, your best worker is your hardest worker he sets the bar and the tempo and the tone and tenor of things for everyone else on the football team. How do you miss a practice day when Tom Brady doesn't miss a practice day? <laughs> How are you late for meetings when Tom Brady is never late for meetings? So I think the two combined creates a culture for winning, unlike what we've ever seen before. No question. Solomon Wilcox, our guest right now on Unpacking It, NFL analyst, former NFL safety. And then, of course, on the other side, we, we've got the Los Angeles Rams, and, and we're seeing this, this new team and the, this young coach. What, what do you make of the quick success that, that he's been able to have 
with this team? And, and, and what kind of impact will he have, Sean McVay, on the league moving forward? Sean McVay is a really good coach. I, you know, what I, what I see from Sean McVay, I don't see anything new. I think people try to look, and, and because the success of the team, they say, well, whoa, this guy, and he's, and he's young. It's got to be something new. No, there's nothing new. He was uh, an assistant coach under Mike Shanahan when Coach Shanahan was with the Washington Redskins. Uh, remember, Mike Shanahan used to be an assistant coach under Bill Walsh um, and George Seifert in San Francisco. He took that same offense to the uh, Denver Broncos that allowed John Elway to win a couple of Super Bowls. Now, remember, John had been to three Super Bowls before Shanahan. Oh, yeah. But he went to two with, with Coach Shanahan because they had this running back named Terrell Davis, okay? <laughs> so, it, so everything went through the running game, even though the quarterback was great. And that's something that uh, Sean McVay learned from Coach Shanahan, learned it from Kyle. If you look at what Kyle did in Atlanta with, with uh, Matt Ryan, look at the, what the running game did with Devontae Freeman and, and Tevin Coleman. Um, over two over two thousand yards in production from both backs, it turned Matt Ryan into an MVP. So he takes that same offense to the Rams, a quarterback that looked like he wasn't even going to be able to play in this league. And Jared Goff now looks like he's he's going to be a star. He's going to be playing a long time. Why? Because he's got a running back by the name of Todd Gurley, and and obviously Sean McVay recognizes that. Uh, and everything goes through the run game. It goes through that offensive line. Goes through the running backs. And that's why when things struggled with the running game at Chicago, a game where Jared Goff had four interceptions, it was tough for him to manage the offense without a running game. Mm. And so what we're seeing is sort of the vestiges of a true West Coast offense that uses the running game and play-action pass and bootlegs and things of that nature to get receivers open at the second level. So this isn't anything new if you were to ask Jerry Rice, if you were to ask Roger Craig, if you were to ask, um, you know, John Elway and even Terrell Davis. They're like, oh, that's our play. That's our playbook. I give credit to Sean McVay that he recognizes what works. This offense is the absolute best, always has been, and getting the runner to the second level of the defense as good as any, which opens up receivers at the second level. A few new wrinkles with some of the bunch packages you have, the quick passing game, those things are new wrinkles. But in, in, in total, we've seen this before. It's just that he's gone back to some of the basics and fundamentals that is still working at a high level today in the NFL. I love it. Great insight from Solomon Wilcox, NFL analyst and former NFL safety here on Unpacking It. And and so it's going to be a, a great Super Bowl, and, and you'll be – leading up with with plenty of coverage on on sky sports in the uk and and i find this very interesting that that you're you know a part of helping to 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 teach and 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 give analysis about american football to that fan base over there and and so what has that experience been like for you and and do you sense that that american football is really catching on there oh no doubt it has caught on and it's there to stay you know, I first went over, um, I thought I was going to have to really tone it down and be very elemental in my approach to teaching and spreading the gospel of, of NFL football. Uh, and I found out that their fans are already operating at a high level. 
their football IQ is at a much higher level than I ever thought it would be. Their passion is at a much level higher level than I ever thought it would be. Much like when you go to a, a soccer game or what they call their uh, version of football, they stand up and cheer the entire game. Wow. Well, we don't do that at an NFL <laughs> game. So, so you got to understand it's ingrained in their culture to be really active when it comes to cheering and rooting on the passionate sport that they love. And, and we're finding that kind of energy in stadiums, whether it's the um, Talkenham um, Stadium or if it's Wembley Stadium, uh, the place is rocking and it's packed to the gills uh, with NFL fans. Wow. So, so more and more teams are going over there for, for games. And I'm here in Charlotte, and I know the Panthers are going there next year. And, and so in the future, what does that look like to, to potentially have a, a franchise there? And, and, and what are some of those, those conversations like and, and your perspective on, on how doable that would be? Well, you know, the only, uh, there's no doubt, I think, the market of London could not only support one team, they could probably support two. Wow. Like, um, you know, whether it's New York or L.A., those, those markets support two teams. There's no doubt that London is a big enough metropolis um, and big enough in terms of the market, not only market size, but the money that's in that market to support teams. It's really about what is it going to be like for teams who have to play them when they play eight home games a year? Mm. How do you get teams over there to play where it's not a disadvantage to the road team? Okay. Having to track all the way across the pond to play and get back. What do you do? Give them a bye week the next week. How do you, how do you manage that part of it? So eight home games for a team over there eventually can become a huge uh, disadvantage. And I think that's part of trying to figure all that out. They, I think the league has done a good job of building a fan base, building a market base where they know a team in London would be a viable option. Now, how do we do it and still keep real competitive balance? I think that's, that's the next thing that you have to contact. Makes sense. And, and, and Solomon, we love, we love talking football on this show, but, but we also love talking faith and, and life. And, and I know that, that you grew up in the church and, and your, your dad was a, a pastor but at what point in your life did did faith become real and, and personal and, and, and when you really took the steps to, to follow Jesus? Well, yeah, I grew up in a family where, you know, my grandparents, uh, my dad's family, there are a lot of ministers. My dad still um, uh, pastors his church um, that he built wow. uh, on property where he lives in Jackson, Mississippi where he went and retired, built his own church. That congregation has grown. He now uh, tours over in Africa and serves as a missionary. Um, and my dad is 78 years old. And he's mm. still working in the ministry now that he's retired from, from his other job. Uh, but no, I, you know, my parents had always taught us, you know, how to pray, how to, how to seek solace in relationship with Christ. And, and how to make it real in our lives and how to make it tangible. And it was really through the art of being a servant, through the art of giving, mm. through the art of making yourself available to be a helper in this world. And it was through that. I've always found that when you're a giver, um, there's, you always feel good about it. You're always um, are being blessed. You always come away from that experience um, with this uh, euphoria like feeling. 
Um, whenever you're able to give of yourself to help of other people, there's never been a time when I've been disappointed. There's never been a time uh, when my needs weren't met. I'm not saying that's why I did it. I'm just saying that I've come to know that over time that when you live life through that prism, that it's a very rewarding path to take. Mm. And it is through that path that uh, my faith has always been rewarded. And there's never been a time when the faith wasn't rewarded. It's, I'm, you know, it's, the faith is nearly, it's really undefeated mm. when you take that path. And so um, I have just come to learn now through my 54 years on this earth that I, you know, I'm committed to that path. I'm committed to that, to that mindset. Uh, and I, I don't have to worry about what tomorrow holds. I don't have to worry about it at all. It's not guaranteed. It's not assured. All I know is that if I continue to walk in faith, that I will not be forsaken. I, I know that that faith is going to be in somehow, some way, some shape or form, that faith is going to be rewarded. Amen. Amen. So so as you look back at your, your faith journey, what are some of the maybe even the, the, the tougher moments in life and, and the, the pain and the disappointment that you've gone through that, that really challenged your faith but developed your faith and, and, and your trust in the Lord? You know, I, I grew up in, in a neighborhood, in a community that had a lot of wonderful values. But it also was a place that, you know, was, you know, it was very dangerous. I grew up in Compton, California, in Los Angeles. Um, in, a, in a neighborhood, there were drugs that were prevalent. There was gang violence that was prevalent. Um, and I just remember praying every day, I just want to go to school, come back home safely. Just let me come back home safe. Mm. Just let me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, these, these things, you know, that most um, 12, 13-year-olds shouldn't have to ask for, but that was the reality. And so I, I knew my faith was rewarded daily. Just because, you know, I'm making it through. I, you know, I remember times when bullets were flying and, and I never was touched by one. Oh. I don't know if they were meant for me or if they wasn't, but I do know that innocent people were hit um, and I wasn't one of them. Mm. And I just remember um, having those kinds of prayers. I remember having the kind of prayer that said, look, I want to be able to make it out of here. I want to go to college one day. I want to be able to play sports. I want to be able to um, have a better life for my family one day and at every single stage whether it's through high school prayers being answered with the opportunity to go away from college and uh, have earn a college scholarship and and then be just praying constantly at the university of colorado to be able to turn around the program that couldn't win a game when i first got there to um going to back-to-back bowl games and three years after i left winning a national championship and then going into the national football league I didn't necessarily play, you know, pray for a great career. I just prayed for the opportunity to play, um, to stay healthy, and to be able to change the trajectory of my life through education and sports. All of those things have been accomplished. Um, and then to be able to work in broadcast television for 25 years mm. was simply not of my doing, but it was being blessed through hard work and dedication and again, faith being rewarded. I started as an unpaid intern at a local NBC affiliate in Cincinnati, working um, as as an editor, as a writer. Then I became a producer, then a reporter, then became a local sports anchor. 
five years later, I got a call from ESPN, uh, and then went to work there. And in my three years there, I ended up winning the sports Emmy. Um, and so I'm, and I covered more than football. I covered NCAA tournament, NBA finals, Major League Baseball, PGA Tour events. So becoming a real tried and true journalist was a goal of mine. And through faith, hard work, and dedication, those prayers were answered. That's awesome. What a great story. We're talking with Solomon Wilcox here on Unpacking It. And, and as you look back on that journey and, and the incredible open doors and, and opportunities, how, why and, and how do you think God used those opportunities uh, in your life to, to, to have an impact on others? And, and what kind of you know, open doors, because of your platform, have you felt like, yeah, God, God really used this for other people and there, there was a purpose in all of these answered prayers and, and blessings that, that he poured on your life? You know, it's, it's amazing. I remember when I was leaving to go off to college and I was, my mom was asking me, she says, well, what do you want to study when, you, when you're in school? I said, I want to sport, study sports journalism. I want to be able to cover sports as a journalist, mm. as a reporter. And I remember looking at him. She says, but you never talk. <laughs> you know, I was very quiet. Wow. Yeah, I was very quiet. I didn't talk. I had three older brothers. They took most of the oxygen in the room, right? <laughs> and so, but, but that gives you an idea of how, what, what God could do in a person's life when you're truly committed and you live and walk by faith. Um, he, he said to call those things that are not as though they were mm. the fact that if you could speak it, if you could see it, if you could believe it and then speak it, those words take on a life form that our words have power. Mm. Even the words that we tell ourselves on a daily basis, they have power mm. and we have to be, that's why we have to be careful to what we say to ourselves and what we say to others. I've always asked, um, God to use me as an instrument in any way possible if I can help improve the lives of other people. Mm. And I remember um, when you know, I was hosting a radio show, I was doing, I was breaking in, trying to do all these things. And I said, you know, God, if you ever bless me enough to be able to do this, you know, I, 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 I want to be the, the kind of individual that never says no mm. to others. When people ask me to be on their radio show, Yes, I'll do it. And when they call, they're not going to get a no call return or act like I've never told them I'd do it. I'm going to be there to do it. Mm. I'm going to be there to deliver on what I said I would do. I want to help others prosper in the way that I've been able to prosper. And I think you could talk to a lot of former players, current players, and they will tell you that they could call me any time of day. And when they want to talk about how to break into business, what are some of the things that they could do while they're still playing, they will tell you that I take the time to help them. I'm not afraid to help other people. Some people are. They, don't, they, they feel that there's only so much to go around, that if I help this person, they're going to end up taking my job one day. I, I, I don't operate like that. And I would share with anyone who listening, any job that you currently have, it doesn't belong to you. You are a temporary steward of that job. That job belongs to the employer, and he will take it from you and give it to someone else, just like he had once given it to someone else and now gave it to you. Mm. It's his job, and we're just temporary placeholders 
any job, whether it's Tom Brady as the quarterback of the Patriots, okay, whether you are Sean McVay, head coach of the Rams, or Bill Belichick, head coach of the Patriots, temporary. You are just passing through for a period of time, and that job belongs to Bob Kraft. That job belongs to Stan Kroenke. One day, they're going to give it to someone else. That's the fact of life. And all we can do is be a good steward of it during the time that we have it. So there's no sense in holding on to our precious jewels when we should share them with others. Because you'll, if you share, you never have to worry about running out. Mm. Man, what a strong message from Solomon Wilcott's here on Unpacking It. Man, I, I love that and, and love just the, the concept of doing what we say we're going to do. And, and I think it's, it's sometimes undervalued or underappreciated, but when you can really trust people that, that when they say they're going to help you, when they say they're going to come through, and then they do, man, it's just a, it's just a difference and you stand out. So, so cool to hear that that's, that's your perspective, uh, Solomon, and so, so thank you for that. Um, and, and as I say your name, Solomon, and, and even your, your Twitter handle, Solomon Wisdom, uh, of course, Solomon in the Bible, known for, for being the, the wisest man, and so that's your, your namesake. What, what does wisdom mean to you, and, and, and how do you incorporate just wisdom into your life on a day-to-day basis? Well, I don't, you know, I don't pretend to be a biblical scholar, but um, what people should understand that Solomon was the son of David. When David passed, he was still a young boy, and so um, the leaders— um, all gathered him. They took him up to a place where he wanted to go up to pray. He began to pray, and uh, God appeared to him and said to him, what would you ask of me? And he asked for wisdom. He said, I'm but a child. I don't, I don't know how to rightly judge your people. Help me to be able to rightly judge. And God said to him, because you didn't ask for the life of your enemy, you didn't ask for riches, you didn't ask for all the material things. And because you ask of this, not only will I grant you wisdom and the right to judge accurately, I'll also grant you the things you didn't ask for. Mm. So to me, that story is never lost on me that that's what wisdom means. Wisdom is not only knowing how to rightly judge and how to just be fair, how to have empathy towards others mm. and really just wanting to get it right and not want to slight other people. Okay. And then if you at least, when you get out of bed every day, you put your feet on the floor, if you just endeavor to do the right thing, our Mm. intent is really important because we all fail. We all make mistakes. Our actions are sometimes not really what we intended to do. So wisdom really is about our intention. It's about our intent to do the right thing, to rightly judge, and just come out in, uh, in the right place at the right time, even when we make mistakes. And then we come back the next day and we try to get it right all over again. That, that to me, in its simplistic way, is the definition of wisdom. That's cool. I, I love it. And, and we'll leave it right there. And, and Solomon, of course, final question. I've got to ask you, who are you taking Rams, Patriots in, in the Super Bowl? Yeah, this one's, this one's really hard because uh, I, Tom Brady, I, just, I love Tom Brady. I just think Tom Brady's great. And I think Belichick, I think they're going to do everything they can to take Todd Gurley out of the game and make it a one-dimensional game. And at that point, can Jared Goff carry this offense without without uh, the running game? I, I don't think so. So 
So I can tell you right now, I think I think Tom Brady and Patriots are going to win. But I'm going to take the Rams, and here is why. Ooh. I believe defense wins championships. Mm. I believe if Dominican Sue and Aaron Donald show up the way that they did against Dallas, the way they did against Drew Brees and the Saints, they will wreck shop. Ooh. And as much as I love Tom Brady, it's hard to throw when you're on your back. <laughs> so I'm taking the Rams because of the Rams defense. And not to mention, Los Angeles is on my birth certificate. Ah, I was born and raised there. There it is. I'm taking the right. Oh, that's all right. No, that's a that's a good take on it. And and especially when you think about that Kansas City game and, and Tom Brady really wasn't touched. So if the Rams get to him, you're right. That changes the game. So uh it's gonna be fun. And and Solomon, man, great to, to have you on the show. Glad glad this finally worked out and, and really just appreciate your insight, your wisdom, and whether whether we're talking football or faith. So uh glad to have you on unpacking it today. Thank you for having me, Bryce. I greatly appreciate it. All right. Well, we thank you.